Hello, humans of the earth, and thank you for joining us on this wonderful day. My name is Dana. And my name is Heidi. And this is Fun Times with Dana and Heidi. Today, we'll be sharing some of the latest positive news stories, but first, we have our lovely tweet of the week. This tweet comes from at YRN underscore J15. Very creative, lots of characters there. And says the following me i have a headache webmd and it'll be your last and so i i relate to this tweet because uh, every time every time there's something wrong with me anatomically i get very worried when i can't find an accurate answer especially if i go on webmd and it's telling me that i have like cancer and all these things or like i have like some sort of rare disease uh-huh. or that i have like all these symptoms and then i'm gonna die in the next 10 seconds i think the internet the internet already scares us enough i think that webmd sure. yeah webmd it's definitely a useful tool but it can be in- a bit intimidating sometimes especially when you have like a small cough and then you think, and you're it's like die. you have COVID. Enter the yeah. emergency room right away. Like no, like yes, you're a bit sick. You may or may not have COVID, but on WebMD it tells you the worst case scenario. So I mm-hmm. think you just need to take WebMD with a grain of salt because yes. it actually comes in useful at sometimes. But I heard that like from doctors, they are like, don't look at WebMD. It's gonna freak you out. You need to go to a doctor. Like do not go online. Because it's going to make you think that you have a bunch of these diseases and when in reality, you don't. Mm-hmm. But still, some people do it anyway because, like, Google's a lot closer to you than a doctor. So That's true. Why not? Yeah. Moving on from today's Tweet of the Week, we have our first news story. And this is about the Sewing Machine Project is mending lives stitch by stitch. So sewing is traditionally passed down from time through time from mother to daughter and from father to son. And it usually serves as the few consistent sources of income for women, especially the ones who live on the margins of society. So Margaret Jakowski learned to sew from her mother. As a grown-up and as an adult, she finds it as a hobby and not as a career. So she likes to teach sewing classes in her spare time, and she loves creating clothes for her children. And whenever you sew clothes for anybody, it's straight from the heart. Like, no machine's doing that for you. No mass production. It's straight from the heart, and it's very unique. That's the good Mm -hmm. thing about handmade and artisanal things. Yes. But in 2004, a tsunami left an egregious mark on Sri Lanka. Margaret's passion for sewing and helping others came in handy when she heard about a woman whose dream of becoming a tailor, which is someone who fixed clothes, was compounded after spending years saving up for a sewing machine. And as an owner of a sewing machine, it, it's not cheap. And it's especially because it's just the machine. Like, you also have to buy the fabric and the needles. Like, it's just only one part of a whole big picture. And I can imagine how it is in developing countries that are spending a lot of money. No, that are trying to save up for these machines that it can be very difficult for them. And Margaret was telling the Christian Science Monitor that I could easily make a living without my sewing machine. That wasn't true of this woman. And that's true here in America. Like, we don't need to have a sewing machine to make a living. Like, you can work at McDonald's or at a hospital and you'll be okay for the most part. So she made a spur of a moment decision to do whatever she could to get some machines to Sri Lanka. Her initial plan was to gather a few used ones in working condition, obviously, who wants to send broken machines to countries 
and send them. But when she outlined her plans to the no- to the local news, they were so enthused that they donated many machines, and more people started donating even more machines. So a lot of the sewing machines were rolling in, and her initial plan was then made into a bigger, bigger project. In 2005, the first shipment of 25 boxes containing toys medical supplies, fabric, and a sewing machine were distributed between five orphanages and orphanages in India and Sri Lanka. In addition to creating clothing, the machines were used as learning tools to teach the children an occupation that they could use later in their life. Since the founding of the sewing machine project, and that was 15 years ago, 3,350 sewing machines have made their way into the hands of various recipients. And keep in mind that this is just Margaret. Like, she was the one who who founded this thing, and she was able to Mm -hmm. do all of these amazing things. So the recipients were ranging from people who faced socioeconomic challenges, whether it was from war conflict to natural disasters to generational poverty. She also did not stop at Sri Lanka. She branched out and has donated to Hurricane Katrina victims. And to be more exact, the New Orleans Mardi Gras costume makers, which is very specific and very good. Yes. And Guatemala, Detroit, and Kosovo. Sewing is very valuable, and it can give you a boost of self-esteem. Like, yes, sometimes it can be frustrating, but at the end of the day, it's pretty rewarding if you succeed. Being able to say, I made this, can be very fulfilling. A stitching machine is also very versatile. You can make something new or you can repair something old. The sewing machine project, which was based in, which is based in Madison, Wisconsin, accepts sewing machines of any brand as long as they are working. So, if any of our of our listeners are having sewing machines that they don't want anymore and they're still working, send them over to the sewing machine project in Madison, Wisconsin. Margaret hopes to expand her company and get more sewing machines into people's reach. Thoughts, Dana? I want to hear some of your thoughts before I say some of mine. I think this is really cool. You know, they're taking like this really simple household product and realizing that uh, something like as simple as a sewing machine can actually shape like people's careers and the course of like people's life and like their socioeconomic status and like uh, poverty and like the situation that they're facing. Uh, It can really help them. And so I think that um, this is like a really simple but really helpful and effective uh, project that's led by like one woman, which is really cool. It's amazing. And I don't know if you know how to sew, but I know how to sew because when I was eight years old, I took a sewing machine class locally near where I live. And they made us take a test before we even got our hands into the machine. So by the age of eight, I knew like all the sewing machine parts, such as the feed dog and the types of needles and how to work with the machine. And keep in mind, when I was eight, like I was too scared to even touch an iron. But but by the end of that class, like I was able to do everything by myself. And it was really cool and really eye-opening. And even though I took that class many years ago, I still use that knowledge to this day whenever I need, need to fix some of my clothes or whether I need to make something. For example, like school projects. I remember I had to make a quilt for a project and a bag for a science project. And I could do that because I knew how to sew because of that class I took many years ago. So although like that small portion of my life is so far away, the fact that I was able to use that and take a class, it, it still affects me today in a positive way. And I still have a machine, like it works perfectly fine. The machine's not like a phone where it retires after five years, like it's still working. 
I know people who have like a 50 year old sewing machine from like 1950 and like all the parts are like super vintage but they, it still works so I can only imagine how like the sewing machine project's gonna do because even though it's 3,000 it's not like a million sewing machines it's only 3,350 those machines can do a lot like the options are endless actually so yeah if you guys don't know how to sew I totally recommend it it helps and it comes very handy so whenever you buy clothing and there's a tear or a rip you can fix it if you want to make any adjustments of being like oh this elastic is too tight you can fix it yourself no need to go to a tailor that's very helpful. I'm about to go on YouTube and look up sewing machine tutorial for beginners yeah. for four years. And you don't even need a you don't even need a machine. Like if you as long as you have like a needle and a thread, you can you can also sew by hand mm-hmm. for like small projects. Obviously, yeah, definitely very useful skill, everyone. So very nice sewing machine project. Now moving on to our next news story. I find this very interesting, almost like something out of a movie, but like a very wholesome movie. Very good, very soul-filling. So, let's set the stage. In 1926, George Morrow Cheboygan, what a name, wrote a message on a piece of paper, put it inside a bottle, and released it out into a local river on his birthday. What a momentous occasion. It's really, he's the main character. It was his coming-of-age movie. So, 95 years later, in the year 2021, the bottle has found its way home and has been discovered by a group of strangers who do not know who this man is or was. So Jennifer Dowker spends her summer scuba diving and conducting shipwreck tours from her boat. So she's very eventful. She's, you know, out there moving and shaking in the water. And she was performing underwater maintenance on the glass bottom window when she found the bottle on the riverbed. And so the bottle that uh, George had originally sent out. She then found the message inside the bottle, which had actually survived more than nine decades, which is crazy because this is a million, not a million, a nine decade old paper underwater with a cork and everything is still legible. That The, the odds of that happening are very, very, very slim. So... This is an interesting discovery. It so. is because usually whenever like water touches ink, it totally smears and it's like not readable at all. Exactly. So she opened up this mysterious bottle and she took a look inside. She's like, what did it say? And the message said, it was very old timey. It said, will the person who finds this bottle return this paper to George Morrow to Boygan, Michigan and tell where it was found? So she posted a picture of the note on Facebook and she was eventually able to find the writer's daughter because the writer had died, unfortunately. But then again, this was in 1926, so kind of expected. But um, the writer's daughter, uh, they con- they contacted each other through Facebook, which the wonders of social media, that is one example of that. Um, but the daughter named Michelle Promo uh, let Dowker keep the bottle and message as a way of preserving his legacy and following his intended finder's keeper's purpose. So Dowker now has the bottle on display in her home to preserve George's memory and uh, Promo plans on visiting the bottle. So yes, very cute story. Very interesting too. It seems almost like very, very movie-like. You don't expect this to happen in real life. You know, you just expect your bottle to kind of wash up somewhere it found yeah like people have time capsules too and they're like i want to open this in 500 years and it's like buried very deep down underneath the surface of earth 
But the fact that these bottles and time capsules actually resurface later, especially with the ocean, because the ocean moves very... It's unlike the ground where it's like getting buried. It's like the ocean moves actively all the time. So it's bound to end up somewhere unless you like sink the bottle. But that's so nice how the daughter let Dauko keep the bottle and in preserving his finder's keeper's purpose and his legacy. I thought that was really sweet. Yes, I agree. And it's also kind of like unexpected because like if I was uh, his daughter, I would be like, oh, the bottle is mine because it's my father's. But I think that's a very selfless act. It's also very powerful. So yes, props to her. And now moving on to my lovely science talk segment, we have China being certified malaria-free by the World Health Organization. So after 70 years, China has gone from 30 million cases of malaria in the 1940s to zero, zilch, none, in 2021. And they have now been awarded a malaria-free certification from the World Health Organization. So this uh, China's history with uh, battling malaria has gone on for a very long time. So in the 1950s, health authorities in China worked to locate and stop the spread of malaria by providing preventative medicines, reducing mosquito breeding grounds, which sounds like an interesting job title, and stepping up the use of insecticide spraying in homes and at-risk areas. And so in 1967, they had this project called the 523 Project, which was a nationwide research program to find new malaria treatments and it was very large scale because it involved more than 500 scientists from 60 institutions and after all of that research that led to the discovery of artemisinin which is the core compound of uh which is basically the most effective anti-malarial drug that's available on the market today so that's nice too and so in the 1980s Fast forward, China was one of the first countries in the world to extensively test the use of insecticide-treated nets. And so when they started using these nets like in their cities, it led to such a ra- drastic reduction in the disease that by the end of 1990, the number of deaths was reduced by 95%. And so in 2020, after reporting four consecutive years of zero cases, China applied for their official Fanji Shmanchi uh, World Health Organization Certification of Malaria Elimination. That has such a lovely rhyme to it. I love that now. But anyways, um, members of the Independent Malaria Elimination Certification Panel traveled to China in May 2021 to verify their malaria-free status and to uh, prevent reestablishment of the disease in China. And so congratulations to China. Uh, Through all the hard work, they were able to accomplish their goals. So congratulations to them. Congratulations, China, for your malaria-free day. I also like how the WHO has a certification about malaria. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think that I think that it's helpful to have like to give those certifications to various countries because like I think it's pretty important to know for the people that hey, my country doesn't have malaria. That's pretty important to know. So globally, they have joined the Malaria Free Club, which is 40 countries and territories that have been granted granted a malaria-free certification from the World Health Organization, including Australia, Singapore, El Salvador, Algeria, Argentina, Paraguay, and Uzbekistan. So congratulations, China. You're up there. Very, very, very cool. Congratulations. I wonder if the United if the United States is on there. 
Do we have malaria? I think so. I don't think so. Uh, Let me check. Because it's one thing to like have low cases and it's one thing to have like zero cases for five years. Do, does it have malaria? I don't think so. Let's check anyway. Oh, never mind. About 2,000 oh. cases of malaria are diagnosed in the United States each year. Uh, nice. The vast majority of, chase, of cases are from travelers and immigrants returning from countries where malaria transmission occurs, many from sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. So it just depends on the situation. But there is some, but it's not as big of a problem as 30 million cases as there once was in China. So, mm-hmm. right. I agree. Wonderful. Moving on to my review segment, I will be reviewing a city today, not a product, a city. Ooh. And that city is New York City. And this is also Dana's first time hearing about my trip because I made her wait so she can, we can get we can elicit her genuine reaction. Yes, this is my genuine natural reaction, organic, yeah. non-GMO reaction. Non-GMO. <laughs> and so I wouldn't have to repeat myself. So she's hearing about this the same time that you guys are hearing about this. Ooh. So I went to New York City for this past week, um, June 25th to July 3rd. And today's July 5th, so very recently. And I went there for a summer course on finance, investment, and stocks. But that summer course, it's not like one where you're with the organization the whole day. Now, you go there on your own time and it ends at 4 p.m. So I had a lot of time to kill afterwards. And I went with my friend and I stayed at my aunt's house. So it was amazing because it's very freeing. Because the best trips I have realized this this past week is when you go with a friend or someone that you can move around very freely with. It's different than like a family trip because then you have to coordinate like everyone's specifications and conditions and wants and needs. So it's a whole different vibe if you just go with a friend. And it's an easy commute in New York City. There's no need for a car. There's a ferry, which is like over water, a subway on underground and above ground in some locations. And buses that you can ride for $2.75 each way. And they do have like time passes too. So you can either add value or you can add time. And I added time because I was going to be there for a week. So that's a great money saving option. And of course, there's also Ubers and taxis. But there's no need to spend money on an Uber and taxi if you're going to be in the city. Yeah, it's expensive. Very expensive, yeah. And sometimes the traffic there can get really bad. So... Moving on, New York City has so many diverse and yummy foods, it's immaculate. Like, coming back to where I live now, I'm missing out. Like, I actually am. I made a, I made it a goal of mine to try food from a new country every single day. So I had food from Cuban food to Turkish food to Ethiopian food to American food. Like, it was amazing. It was really good. And it was also very authentic. So no knockoffs. It was the real deal. And you can get it in the United States, you don't need to travel to these countries to get their food. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice op- it's a nice way to get a taste of each each country's culture. It's known as the capital of the world. So I can understand how they earned that title. The weather there was nice. I came in the middle of a heat wave, but even then like it wasn't even that bad at all cuz I come from a very hot portion of the United of Texas in deep south Texas that's super hot here. So it was hot like if for two days but then other than that like it ranged from 70 to 90 degrees and that's perfect weather for me i know some some new yorkers consider that hot but for me it's perfect mm-hmm. 
and they have everything that small cities don't have. So you have like unlimited resources like stores and restaurants. So if you want to go to, for example, Uniqlo, they have like three stores in in New York City in like in general, like not just the state, like a, a city. And there's a bunch of restaurants there. So if you didn't want to eat that type of food, you can eat a different type of food. And it's also a close commute because you could just use subway or you can walk, especially because the weather was so great. It's really easy to get around anywhere. And people there are actually really nice. I know New Yorkers get a bad reputation of being rude and like like um, arrogant, but they're actually really nice. You just need to get, get to know them. And if you're lost, like as long as you ask them, I'm sure they'll help you. And been there, done that. I think they do it mostly like for their safety because New York is like a melting pot. You find all sorts of people and some people are maybe not the best to be around. But for the most part, people there are super nice and friendly. You just need to ask them for help or get to know them. I had such a fun time with myself. Um, Hopefully next year it can be fun time with Dana and Heidi in New York City. But New York is so fun. I highly recommend anyone who wants to travel if you're vaccinated, preferably, to go to New York City. It's amazing. I went there for a week, and obviously, I only had, like, half the day to explore. But even then, like, I don't think a week would be enough because New York City is actually – geographically, it's small, but it has a lot to offer. And mm-hmm. there's five boroughs, and each borough has something unique to their culture and and their way of life. So there's, like, Staten Island. There is Manhattan. There's Queens. There's Brooklyn. and the, And there's the Bronx. And it was really nice. I went to Long Island City, and that was really, really nice. I love the views. It was super green. The views there are amazing because you just see the huge city. And you can also travel closely to New Jersey. Like, I went to New Jersey for a day, just an hour of an Uber ride. The East Coast is very unique because it's all clustered together. So you can take the train to Boston or Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and um, you can always go to Connecticut and all those Massachusetts, Boston, they're all there. And you don't even need to fly. You could just use like local transportation. It's really nice. Highly recommend. That's that super fun. I love that. Yes, definitely. At some point in the future, we'll take our little blue yetis and we'll go to New York and do a live podcast there. That would be wonderful. Live podcast. But yeah, New York sounds really fun. I've always wanted to go there. This year, I couldn't go. Uh, but hopefully some time in the future. I think maybe next year I'm going to go. One day. So that should be exciting. Yes, one day. I'm going to make it a goal. But yeah, it sounds super fun. I love big cities, and so it sounds like it would be really fun. Uh, And yeah, I think – I think I would probably take like a more touristy approach just because like uh, it's like a, it would be a family trip most likely. But I would want to see something like Broadway and live less like, like tickets are like super expensive. But I would want to go do that. Go find eat at all the yummy restaurants and go to like little Italy and all those lovely places. And then maybe take a little uh, road trip to the other nearby places because everything on the East Coast is so close together. Like Heidi says, mm-hmm. like to get outside of Texas, it's like at least – it's a very, very long time to get know, out of it's Texas. Like Twelve hours of a drive. To get, to get yeah, to get halfway, it's like eight hours. So it takes a long time. But New York in out, and then you can be in New Jersey an hour later. That's fantastic. But um, yeah, it sounds super fun, and I'm glad Heidi had fun. She had a fun time. Hooray! Yes. So moving on to our motivational quote. This is a great finishing piece, and it says, "And Carlos Castanet." Castaneda, Carlos Castaneda, right? 
Yes. Wise words by Carlos Castaneda. We either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. And I totally agree with that. So listen to Fun Times with Dana and Heidi and get your daily serotonin injection. Yes, yes. So thank you for listening. That was our motivational quote. Thank you for getting your daily dose of serotonin. And make sure to follow us at at FunTimesWDH for memes, up, memes, updates, and more. And that is on Instagram, ladies and gentlemen. So yes, thank you for listening. And that's all for today. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye.